Chapter Nineteen of Cleopatra by Georg Ebers, translated by Mary J. Safford. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Nineteen. Night brought little sleep to Cleopatra. Memory followed memory. Plan was added to plan. The resolve made the day before was the right one. Today she would begin its execution. Whatever might happen, she was prepared for every contingency. Ere she went to her work, she granted a second audience to the Roman envoy. Timogenes exerted all his powers of eloquence, skill in persuasion, wit, and ingenuity. He again promised to Cleopatra life and liberty, and to her children the throne, but when he insisted upon the surrender or death of Mark Antony as the first condition of any further negotiations, Cleopatra remained steadfast, and the ambassador set forth on his way home without any pledge. After he had gone, the queen and Iris looked over the plans for the tomb, brought by gorgias but the intense agitation of her soul distracted cleopatra's attention and she begged him to come again at a later hour when she was alone she took out the letters which caesar and antony had written to her how acute subtle and tender were those of the former how ardent impassioned yet sincere were those of the mighty and fiery orator whose eloquence swept the listening multitudes with him yet whom her little hand had drawn wherever she desired her heart throbbed faster when she thought of the meeting with antony now close at hand for charmian had gone with the nubian to invite him to join her again they had started several hours ago, and she awaited their return with increasing impatience. She had summoned him for their last mutual battle. That he would come she did not doubt, but could she succeed in rekindling his courage? Two persons so closely allied should sink and perish, still firmly united in the final battle, if victory was denied." archibius was now announced it soothed her merely to gaze into the faithful countenance which recalled so many of her happiest memories she opened her whole soul to him without reserve and he drew himself up to his full height as if restored to youth while when she told him that she would never sully herself by treachery to her lover and husband and had resolved to die worthy of her name the expression of his eyes revealed that she had chosen the right path ere she had made the request that he should undertake the education and guidance of the children he voluntarily proposed to devote his best powers to them the plan of uniting didymus's garden with the locius and giving it to the little ones also met with his approval his sister had already told him that cleopatra had determined to build her tomb he hoped he added that its doors would not open to her for many years she shook her head sorrowfully exclaiming would that i could read every face as i do yours my friend archibius wishes me a long life if any one does 
but he is as wise as he is faithful and therefore will consider that earthly life is by no means a boon in every case besides he says to himself events are impending over this queen and woman my friend which will perhaps render it advisable to make use of the great privilege which the immortals bestow on human beings when it becomes desirable for them to leave the stage of life so let her build her tomb have i read the old familiar book aright on the whole yes he answered gravely but it is inscribed upon its pages that a great princess and faithful mother can be permitted to set forth on the last journey whence there is no return only when when she interrupted a shameful end threatens to fall upon the fair beginning and brilliant middle period as a swarm of locusts darkens the air and devours and devastates the fields i know it and will act accordingly and added archibius this end also faithful to your nature you will shape regally on my way here i met my sister near the coma you sent her to your husband he will grasp the proffered hand now that it is necessary to stake everything or surrender the grandson of heracles will again display his former heroic power perhaps stimulated and encouraged by the example of the woman he loves he will even force hostile fate to show him fresh favour destiny will pursue its course interrupted cleopatra firmly but antony must help me to heap fresh obstacles in the pathway and when he wishes to use his giant strength what masses of rock his mighty arm can hurl and if your lofty spirit smooths the path for him then my royal mistress even then the close of the tragedy will be death and every scene a disappointment was not the plan of bringing the fleet across the isthmus bold and full of promise even the professional engineers greeted it with applause and yet it proved impracticable destiny dug its grave and the terrible omens before and after actium and the stars the stars everything points to speedy destruction everything every hour brings news of the desertion of some prince or general as if from a watch-tower i now overlook what is now growing from the seed i sowed sterile ears or poisonous vegetation wherever i turn my eyes and yet you who know my life from its beginning tell me must i veil my head in shame when the question is asked what powers of intellect what talents industry and desire for good cleopatra displayed no my royal mistress a thousand times no yet the fruit of every tree i planted degenerated and decayed caesarion is withering in the flower of his youth by whose fault i know only too well you will now take charge of the education of the other children so it is for you to consider what brought me where i now stand and how to guard their life-bark from wandering and shipwreck 
let me train them to be human beings replied archibius gravely and preserve them from the desire to enter the lists with the gods from the simple cleopatra in the garden of epicurus who was a delight to the good and wise you became the new isis to whom the multitude raised hearts eyes and hands dazzled and blinded we will transfer the twins helios and selene the sun and the moon from heaven to earth they must become mortals greeks i will not transplant them to the garden of epicurus but to another where the air is more bracing the inscription on its portals shall not be here pleasure is the chief good but this is an arena for character he who leaves this garden shall not owe it to the yearning for happiness and comfort but an immovably steadfast moral discipline your children like yourself were born in the east which loves what is monstrous superhuman exaggerated if you entrust them to me they must learn to govern themselves at the helm stands moral earnestness which however does not exclude the joyous cheerfulness natural to our people the sails will be trimmed by moderation the noblest quality of the greek nation i understand cleopatra interrupted with drooping head interwoven with the means of securing the children's welfare you set before the mother's eyes the qualities she has lacked i know that long ago you abandoned the teachings of epicurus and the stoa and with an earnest aim before your eyes sought your own paths the tempest of life swept me far away from the quiet garden where we sought the purest delight now i have learned to know the perils which threaten those who see the chief good in happiness it stands too high for mortals for in the changeful stir of life it remains unattainable and yet it is too low an aim for their struggles for there are worthier objects yet one saying of epicurus we both believed and it has always stood us in good stead wisdom can obtain no more precious contribution to the happiness of mortal life than the possession of friendship she held out her hand as she spoke and while deeply agitated he raised it to his lips she went on you know i am on the eve of the last desperate battle if the gods will shoulder to shoulder with antony therefore i shall not be permitted to watch your work of education yet i will aid it when the children question you about their mother you will be obliged to restrain yourself from saying instead of striving for the painless peace of mind the noble pleasure of epicurus which once seemed to her the highest good she constantly pursued fleeting amusements the oriental recklessly squandered her once noble gifts of intellect and the wealth of her people yielded to the hasty impulses of her passionate nature but you shall also say to them your mother's heart was full of ardent love she scorned what was base strove for the highest goal and when she fell preferred death to treachery and disgrace here she paused for she thought she heard footsteps approaching and then exclaimed anxiously i am waiting expecting perhaps antony cannot escape from the paralyzing grasp of despair 
to fight the last battle without him and yet under the gaze of his wrathful gloomy eyes once so full of sunshine would be the greatest sorrow of my life archibius i may confess this to you the friend who saw love for this man develop in the breast of the child but what does this mean an uproar have the people rebelled yesterday the representatives of the priesthood the members of the museum and the leaders of the army assured me of their changeless fidelity and love dion belonged to the macedonian men of the council yet i have already declared in accordance with the truth that i never intended to persecute him on caesarion's account i do not even know and do not desire to know the refuge of the lately wedded pair or has the new tax levied the command to seize the treasures of the temple driven them to extremities what am i to do we need gold to bind the foe defiance to preserve the independence of the throne the country and the people or have tidings from rome it is becoming serious and the noise is growing louder let me see what they want archibius anxiously interrupted hastening to the door but just at that moment the introducer opened it crying mark antony is approaching the locius attended by half alexandria the noble imperator is returning fell from the bearded lips of the commander of the guard ere the courtier's words had died away and even while he spoke iris pressed past him shrieking as if half frantic he is coming he is here i knew he would come how they are shouting and cheering out with you men if you are willing my royal mistress we will greet him from the balcony of berenike if we only had the twins little alexander interrupted cleopatra with blanched face and faltering voice put on their festal garments quick the children zoe cried iris completing the order and clapping her hands then she turned to the queen with the entreaty be calm my royal mistress be calm i beseech you we have ample time here is the vulture crown of isis and here the other antony's slave eros has just come in panting for breath the imperator he says will appear as the new dionysus it would certainly please his master though he had not commissioned him to request it if you greeted him as the new isis help me hathor nephorus tell the usher to see that the fan-bearers and the other attendants women and men are in their places here are the pearl and diamond necklaces for your throat and bosom take care of the robe the transparent bombyx is as delicate as a cobweb and if you tear it no you must not refuse we all know how it pleases him to see his goddess in divine majesty and beauty cleopatra with glowing cheeks and throbbing heart made no further objection to donning the superb festal robe strewn with glimmering pearls and glittering gems it would have been more in harmony with her feelings to meet the returning antony in the plain dark garb which since her arrival at home she had exchanged for a richer one only on festal occasions but antony was coming as the new dionysus and eros knew what would please his master eight nimble hands which were often aided by iris's skilful fingers toiled busily and soon the latter could hold up the mirror before cleopatra exclaiming from the very depths of her heart like the foam-born aphrodite and the golden hathor then iris who in adorning her beloved mistress had forgotten love 
hate and envy and amid her eager haste barely found time for a brief fervent prayer for a happy issue of this meeting through the broad folding doors as wide as if she were about to reveal to the worshippers in the temple the image of the god in the innermost sanctuary a long echoing shout of surprise and delight greeted the queen for the courtiers hastily summoned were already awaiting her without from the grey-haired epistolograph to the youngest page regally attired women in her service raised the floating train of her cloak others in sacerdotal robes were testing the ease of movement of the rings on the sistrum rods men and boys were forming into lines according to the rank of each individual and the chief fanbearer gave the signal for departure after a short walk through several halls and corridors the train reached the first courtyard of the palace and there ascended the few steps leading to the broad platform at the entrance gate which overlooked the whole bruchium and the street of the king down which the expected hero would approach the distant uproar of the multitude had sounded threatening but now amid the deafening din they could distinguish every shout of welcome every joyous greeting every expression of delight surprise applause admiration and homage known to the greek and egyptian tongues only the centre and end of the procession were visible the head had reached the corner of the muses where concealed by the old trees in the garden it moved on between the temple of isis and the land owned by didymus the end still extended to the coma whence it had started all alexandria seemed to have joined it men large and small of high and low degree old and young the lame and the crippled mingled with the throng sweeping onward among horses and carriages carts and beasts of burden like a mountain torrent dashing wildly down to the valley here a loud shriek rang from an overturned litter whose bearers had fallen yonder a child thrown to the ground screamed shrilly there a dog trodden under the feet of the crowd howled piteously so clear and resonant were the shouts of joy that they rose high above the flutes and tambourines the cymbals and lutes of the musicians who followed the man approaching in the robes of a god the head of the procession now passed beyond the corner of the muses and came within view of the platform there could be no doubt to whom this ovation was given for the returning hero was in the van high above all the other figures from the golden throne borne on the shoulders of twelve black slaves he waved his long thyrsus in greeting to the exulting multitude before the bacchanalian train which accompanied him and behind the musicians who followed moved two elephants bearing between them as a light burden some unrecognizable object covered with a purple cloth now the column had passed between the pylons through the lofty gateway which separated the palace from the street of the king and stopped opposite to the platform while officials scythians and bodyguards of all shades of complexion on foot and on horseback kept back the throng by force where friendly warning did not avail cleopatra saw her lover descend from the throne and give a signal to the indian slave who guided the elephants the cloth was flung aside revealing to the astonished eyes of the spectators a bouquet of flowers such as no alexandrian had ever beheld 
it consisted entirely of blossoming rose bushes the red flowers formed a circle in the centre surrounded by a broad light garland of white ones the whole gigantic work rested like an egg in its cup in a holder of palm fronds which as it were framed it in graceful curving outlines more than a thousand blossoms were united in this peerless bouquet and the singular gigantic gift was characteristic of its giver he advanced on foot to the platform his figure towering above the brown light-hued and black freedmen and slaves who followed as on the monuments of the pharaohs the image of the sovereign dominates those of the subjects and foes he could look down upon the tallest men and the width of his shoulders was as remarkable as his colossal height a long gold-broidered purple mantle floating to his ankles increased his apparent stature powerful arms with the swelling muscles of an athlete were extended from his sleeveless robe towards the beloved queen the well-formed head thick dark hair and magnificent beard corresponded with the powerful figure formerly these locks had adorned the head of the youth with the blue-black hue of the raven's plumage now the threads of grey scattered abundantly through them were concealed by the aid of dye a thick wreath of vine-leaves rested on the imperator's brow and leafy vine-branches to which clung several dark bunches of grapes fell over his broad shoulders and down his back which was covered like a cloak not by a leopard skin but that of a royal indian tiger of great size he had slain it himself in the arena the head and paws of the animal were gold the eyes two magnificent sparkling sapphires the clasp of the chain by which the skin was suspended as well as that of the gold belt which circled the imperator's body above the hips was covered with rubies and emeralds the wide armlets above his elbows the ornaments on his broad breast nay even his red morocco boots glittered and flashed with gems radiant magnificence as his former fortune seemed the attire of this mighty fallen hero who but yesterday had shrunk timidly and sadly from the eyes of his fellow-men his features too were large noble and beautiful in outline but though his pale cheeks were adorned with the borrowed crimson of youth half a century of the maddest pursuit of pleasure and the torturing excitement of the last few weeks had left traces only too visible for the skin hung in loose bags beneath the large eyes wrinkles furrowed his brow and radiated in slanting lines from the corners of his eyes across his temples yet not one of those whom this bedizened man of fifty was approaching thought of seeing in him an aged bedecked dandy it was an instinct of his nature to surround himself with pomp and splendour and moreover his whole appearance was so instinct with power that scorn and mockery shrank abashed before it how frank gracious and kindly was this man's face how sincere the heartfelt emotion which sparkled in his eyes still glowing with the fire of youth at the sight of the woman from whom he had been so long parted every feature beamed with the most ardent tenderness for the royal wife whom he was approaching and the expression on the lips of the giant varied so swiftly from humble sorrowful anguish of mind 
to gratitude and delight that even the hearts of his foes were touched but when pressing his hand on his broad breast he advanced towards the queen bending so low that it seemed as if he would fain kiss her feet when in fact the colossal figure did sink kneeling before her and the powerful arms were outstretched with fervent devotion like a child beseeching help the woman who had loved him throughout her whole life with all the ardour of her passionate soul was overpowered by the feeling that everything which stood between them all their mutual offences had vanished he saw the sunny smile that brightened her beloved ever beautiful face and then then his own name reached his ears from the lips to which he owed the greatest bliss love had ever offered at last as if intoxicated by the tones of her voice which seemed to him more musical than the songs of the muses half smiling at the jest which even in the most serious earnest he could not abandon half moved to the depths of his soul by the power of his newly awakening happiness after such sore sorrow he pointed to the gigantic bouquet which three slaves had lifted down from the elephant and were bearing to the queen cleopatra too was overwhelmed with emotion this floral gift imitated on an immense scale the little bouquet which the famous young general had taken from her father's hand before the gate of the garden of epicurus to present to her as his first gift that had also been composed of red roses surrounded by white ones instead of palm fronds it had been encircled only by fern leaves this was one of the beautiful offerings which antony's gracious nature so well understood how to choose the bouquet was a symbol of the unprecedented generosity natural to this large-minded man no magic goblet had compelled him to approach her thus and with such homage nothing had constrained him save his overflowing heart his constant fadeless love as if restored to youth transported by some magic spell to the happy days of early girlhood she forgot her royal dignity and the hundreds of eyes which rested upon him as if spellbound and obedient to an irresistible impulse of the heart she sank upon the broad heaving breast of the kneeling hero laughing joyously in the clear silvery tones which are usually heard only in youth he clasped her in his strong arms raised her slender figure in its floating royal mantle from the ground kissed her lips and eyes held her aloft in the soaring attitude of the goddess of victory as if to display his happiness to the eyes of all and at last placed her carefully on her feet again like some treasured jewel then turning to the children who were waiting at their mother's side he lifted first little alexander then the twins to kiss them and while holding helios and selene in his arms as if the joy of seeing them again had banished their weight the shouts which had arisen when the queen sank on his breast again burst forth the ancient walls of the lochias palace had never heard such 
acclamations they passed from lip to lip from hundreds to hundreds and though those more distant did not know the cause they joined in the shouts along the whole vast stretch from the lochias to the coma the cheers rang out like a single heart-stirring inseparable cry echoing across the harbour the ships lying at anchor the towering masts to the cliff amid the sea where barine was nursing her new-made husband End of chapter nineteen